Yo, 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 welcome to the Two Shades of Blue podcast. My name is Royal Howell. I have my co-host Terrence Hatchett, ladies and gentlemen. And today we're going to give you a little sports take from the wild, wild sports weekend, including a little college basketball, some boxing, maybe a little Charlotte Hornets. So let's get right into it, man. Um, the Duke Blue Devils yesterday um, got swept by the Louisville Cardinals inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. We had the Carolina Tar Heels have one of the most um, – Second half dominant performances we've seen thus this season against Florida State. I think 11th ranked Florida State. Yeah, 11th um, ranked. Yeah. Inside the Dean Smith Center, the first game back for some fans in college basketball after the uh, government mandate from Roy Cooper was lifted, um, allowing, I think, 30% capacity inside arenas and stadiums. Um, so Carolina fans were allowed, including you know students, families, um, coaches um, inside the Dean Smith Center where Carolina got one of his biggest wins. So let's jump right into it, man. Let's start with Carolina. T, give me your thoughts on the Carolina game yesterday uh, and a much-needed um, second-half down in performance, including a Walker Kessler who had, what, 20 and 8 um, off the bench in 24 minutes, man. It's giving guys a spark off the bench. Give me your thoughts on the game, bro. Yeah, man. Uh, Walker Kessler, ever since the uh, Virginia game, he's really been solid and coming along very nicely. Um, he's a seven-foot big man, um, shows some impressive footwork in the paint, and he runs the floor really well. Um, you know, Carolina's deep at the bigs, man. Like, you know, we got Garrison and Armando, but then we might throw in Dayron and Kessler or any given day. Dayron and Kessler might be better than our starting bigs. So definitely a much-needed win, but the key, the key – with North Carolina is going to come down to guard play and turnovers. If Carolina is going to make any noise in the tournament, especially right now, Joe Lenardi has them as a nine seed, I believe. Yep. Somewhere between eight and 10 seed, which means you're going to have to play a very quality opponent in your first tournament game, let alone the second game where you're probably going to play a one or a two seed. So, you know, really – Big win against a very good Florida State team. And by the way, Larry Hamilton should be in the Hall of Fame. I know he's nominated for it. He should definitely be in. He's turned a football school into a basketball powerhouse. Um, just I've been seeing this on Twitter. You know, you have your blue bloods. I'll, and then some people are saying Florida State and a couple other schools are new bloods. Like that program has been consistently one of the best programs in the ACC for the last decade, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. In my opinion, if we had a tournament last year, I had Florida State make it to the Final Four last year. They were that good last year. They lose a couple guys in the NBA, including Patrick Williams, a lottery pick, uh, Devin Vasile, and the uh, ball just keeps rolling for them, man. So that was a big win for UNC. Um, we played them very tough in Tallahassee the first time. So we're definitely going to get a little bit of revenge. Um, Carolina has a big week, of course. You know, we played Duke on Saturday, but we got to handle business for Syracuse first. I think that we will make the tournament, but I would still like to handle business um, moving forward, beat Syracuse, and then, you know, you got the Duke game, the ACC tournament coming up too. I think we're in, but we still have some work to do. But uh, having Walker Kessler have that 20 and 8, he really was a huge spark yesterday. We were down double digits at um, one point in the game. And, you know, coming off that Marquette game where we just didn't play well at all, it just didn't seem like we were really into the game on Wednesday. It's kind of one of those – last minute games that we had to schedule um i don't know what the deal was with that but you know beating florida state was huge because if we had lost that game we would have been right back on the hot seat uh, as far as making the tournament so uh big time win i think that game definitely solid 
um, solidifies UNC making the tournament for, for sure. Uh, like I said, Florida State was 11th ranked. Um, let's talk about your bigs production, man. At times, you know, UNC Royal Williams is putting four bigs in the game back to back to back. Uh, you had Kessel, like I said, that had 20 and eight. Uh, you know, we know about the motor of Daron Sharp, one of the best motors in the, not just the ACC, but the country with 3.6 rebounds, um, you know, a block yesterday. Royal Williams has the ability to throw all these bodies in at these teams, wearing them down. I think yesterday, Carolina went at least, what, 10 to 11 deep, which is a recipe for a success within the tournament, um, like we had recently with Kenny Davis. I'm sorry, uh, Kenny Robinson um, stating that, you know, UNC gets better towards March. Yeah. Is this, in your opinion, one of the biggest teams that Royal Williams has had in recent history? Yeah, man. I mean, this team, I mean, Davon Sharp is, what, 6'11", Kessel is 7 feet, and then Armando and Garrison are both solid. I mean, I'm trying to think. In 2019, you know, Luke May was kind of a stretch for He wasn't like a typical UNC big, but, you know, in the flow of the offense, he actually did a lot of great things for that team that we had because he could space the floor. When you had Kobe and Kenny and um, – Cam Johnson, I mean, we could space the floor and just attack the rim. And then we had Nasir as well mm -hmm. uh, in 2017. Kennedy and Isaiah and um, Tony Bradley, that was a pretty big rotation as well. But this group, I mean, even like we, we just, they're big, man. And, um, they definitely going to make an impact in the tournament. Like, I know we talked about um, some of these teams earlier. Like, when you're playing a team like Michigan with Hunter Dickinson mm -hmm. or in Iowa, uh, Garza, you got to be able to throw bodies at those um, at those players. And we definitely had the bodies to throw at guys like that. This is really going to come down to guard play. I'm not worried about our bigs. Um, Garrison's a vet. Um Armando's been in the program two years. Dayron has a motor and Walker's coming along strong. So I'm not really worried about our bigs. We're, they'll definitely have an impact in the tournament. It's really going to come down to wing and guard play for UNC. Is it time for, you say, Duke fans to worry, um, you know, including myself, you know, who covered both teams. But, uh, you know, my Duke Blue Devils yesterday got swept by Louisville inside Cameron Indoor. Uh, the player of the game, in my opinion, obviously, and – you know, almost you can make argument for player of the year in ACC, Matthew Hurt, who went for 37, um, ultimately ended up falling out the game. But I think what we have to worry about here is in key situations, not just against against Louisville, but also against Miami and other teams this year, you can make an argument that Coach K's inability to play players in certain situations um, is just inexcusable, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, late in the game yesterday, um, 65 all, uh, with Louisville at the free throw line. Uh, Mark Williams, the biggest player on the court, seven-footer with 7'5 seven wingspan, was not in the basketball game. Um, the free throw was missed by Carl Leak, I believe, who Louisville yeah. got a chance to win the game. Um, the game ended up going to overtime where they ended up beating Duke. So Duke now is sitting at 11-9 um, overall, 9-7 in the conference, fighting for their lives literally to, to get into the tournament. Um, right now, would you say Duke is pretty much having to win out two tough road games at Georgia Tech and Carolina to end the season? Uh, then throughout the ACC tournament, I think Duke needs to definitely win both these games against Tech and UNC 
and then, in my opinion, maybe win two games within the tournament just to even give the selection committee a nod for them to make the tournament. I thought that if they beat Louisville yesterday, they were definitely inside the tournament, um, you know, or the first four looking inside yeah. the tournament um, with possibly winning just one game in the tournament. But now I think the Duke needs some work uh, to build their resume. Um, your thoughts, Steve? Yeah, and back to a point you made with Matthew Hurt against Louisville twice. I think he's fouled out twice against Louisville. Yep. Um, another game this year, I don't know if it was Miami, but he was in foul trouble. And even the UNC game, the first UNC game, Matthew Hurt was in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. And ever since Jalen Johnson uh, left the team, I mean, it's been Matthew Hurt's show. Um, you know, one thing uh, I was talking to a Duke fan yesterday that I was watching the game, and he said that guys know their roles. The roles are more defined. Um, nobody's trying to do pretty much – everybody's pretty much staying in their lane. It's Matthew Hurt's team. Um, but Matthew Hurt gets in trouble because he's guarding bigs on other teams. And we said before, Matthew Hurt is not a type of big man that can guard in the paint. At all. So he's, he's getting four. punished in the paint. Mm-hmm. And against these teams like Louisville and UNC, he has four get fouls or he fouls out and it kills Duke. Um, so I was really surprised that Mark Williams – wasn't in the game because he could have secured the rebound. Duke possibly could have drew something up to win the game. But, yeah, Duke, in my opinion, they might have to win out, period, to get in the tournament. Um, yes. I know Joe Lenardi was on during the game yesterday, and he was like, if Duke won that game, they had a 47% chance of making the tournament. Mm-hmm. But um, for a loss, I think it dropped to, like, 20%. Yeah, um, astronomical. Yeah, man, so – you know, Georgia Tech, a lot of people don't talk about Georgia Tech, but they've been playing some good ball. I mean, they beat UNC earlier uh, in December, and they gave Duke a run for their money uh, earlier this season as well, and they've been playing pretty well. That's a team that's fighting to get in the tournament too. So that Georgia Tech-Duke game, in my opinion, is an elimination game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The winner still has a fighting chance. The loser is probably out. So Duke's going to make the tournament. They have to beat Georgia Tech. Um, and then the Carolina game – um, Carolina still has something to play for too. So both teams are really going to be desperate for a win. That's going to be a bloodbath on Saturday. Um, I expect it to be a physical game. Can Coach K get Mark Williams involved and keep Matthew Hurt out of foul trouble? That really will be the key to the game. And also guard play and turnovers because turnovers was a huge factor in the first Carolina Duke game. Mm-hmm. And then the ACC tournament in Greensboro, depending on where Duke see it, they're going to have a tough opponent early on in the ACC tournament. So yeah, Duke is really fighting for their lives. Um, it's odd because Duke hasn't missed a tournament since, what, 95? Yeah, it's been that long, man. It's been that long, and that's what worries me about Duke right now, and that has worried me all season, where, you know, we just went on a little winning streak, rightfully so, on the players are playing um, the best basketball I've seen all the season, knowing the roles, like you mentioned earlier, um, embracing embracing their roles, more importantly, um, they're respecting each other, um, but they're sharing the basketball. And um, something that cannot be underestimated was yesterday during the Duke game where I think Stewart, Goldwire, and Roach all combined for like 11, 12 points. Um, in order for Duke to succeed, I'm not really worried about the front court that much. As long as Coach K is getting Mark Williams some playing time, Hurt's going to get his buckets. I'm not worried about that at all. But what worries me about Duke is their backcourt. Duke has to get production from the backcourt, you know, um, as of recently, they've been bringing Goldwire off the bench, um, pretty much letting Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart flourish um, within the offense. Um, more of a little bit up-tempo scheme on the offensive end because Goldwire is not necessarily known for a score, but just being able to bring that senior veteran leadership off the bench 
really takes Duke to the next level, man. So, um, you know, as far as the game on Saturday, I don't want to really look ahead that far, T, just because um, I have that same coach mentality that we got from Coach Johnson and your dad at Greensboro Day, where if you look that far ahead, knowing you got a dangerous opponent right next game, that's a huge issue. So mm-hmm. Duke needs to worry about Georgia Tech because Georgia Tech has a nasty backcourt, one of yeah. the top scoring dual backcourts in the ACC, um, led by um, the Brooklyn native Alvarado, who torched Duke inside Cameron Indoor, where Coach K gave him high praises. Um, they're looking their chops because they, they know that this game coming up, I believe, Tuesday or Wednesday night at, at Georgia Tech is going to be a must-needed win for both these programs um, due to the fact that they're both fighting for their NCAA berths. Um, ACC tournament's coming up next week. Um, this is very pivotal, man, to say the least, that both these teams need a win in the most desperate way possible. Um, but that's going to lead us right into the ACC tournament coming up. Um, what's your thoughts on UNC implementing the fans back into the arena yesterday, man? You know, you saw the second half performance from Carolina. It's almost like the players are just um, driven by the fans in the stands. Um, they have, I believe, 30% capacity. Um, they just like a totally different ball club in the second half. You, you had a bunch of media outlets saying that, you know, the games felt so much different, but it felt good just to have fans back in the stands. Yeah. What's your I thoughts mean, on the game, man? I mean, I think if there were no fans in the stands, I'm not sure if UNC would have came back. I think having that fan support, that energy, especially when UNC made a run, I think that makes a huge difference. I mean, you, that can't be discounted, especially in college. You know, the home court advantages in college – I've kind of went away this year, but so having some fans, even if it's 30% capacity is huge because it just gives guys some juice, especially young guys. They feed off the crowd and not having the crowd there when things aren't going well, it's kind of harder to like generate your own energy to like come back from when you're down double digit deficits. But when you have a crowd that's really like amping you up and then you start feeling good about yourself and you start making the run, you can feel the energy in the building. It makes a huge difference, man. Even even the pro game, but especially in the college game, like having some fans in the stands is going to be huge, man. I'm glad that Roy Cooper decided to um, let fans in the stands. I'm looking forward to attending a Hornets game before the season's up, man. I got to see LaMelo Ball. I wish I could have tried to get to the Dean Dome uh, once this year, but I know those Carolina Duke tickets on Saturday are going to be absolutely insane because it's 30% capacity. I know them prices are going to be high, <laughs> and the ACC yeah. tournament is going to be insane too, so – I hate that they're not going to allow fans, you know, to actually purchase the tickets. They're just really giving the tickets out to, uh, you know, family and friends of the players, I believe, to each. Um, you know, the coaching staff, they're allowed, I believe, two players uh, – I mean, two family members also. Um, let's jump right into boxing, man. Me and yours both, pound for pound, number one boxer contender, uh, Canelo Alvarez, man, yesterday put on a complete clinic. Masterpiece. clinic. Third round TKO, and I always pronounce this dude's name wrong. Um, I think it's you, what, you Ob- yeah, I- Yes. <laughs> How are you pronounce it? No disrespect, but like I said, he got straight demolished yesterday. Third round TKO, his corner threw in the towel. Uh, he did all that yapping and talking before the fight, which fighters do, and they're mainly doing it just because they want that huge payday. Um, he got Canelo to fight, which ultimately Canelo ended up putting back on his, you know what, his ass yesterday. Third round TKO, man. Like I said before, he's – the number one pound for pound, in our opinion, some people have um, Bud Crawford. Um, that's Hell hard. Not, man. <laughs> I still think it's Canelo, man. What are your thoughts on the fight? And what's next for Canelo, man? Because we heard all this gap in early this week about 
him fighting uh, Carlo, Charlo, however you want to pronounce it. I don't think he's on his level at all. What's your thoughts on the fight yesterday, man? And what's next for Canelo, man? Who's a contender for Canelo? Man, the fight, I mean, that was, I've seen – that was like a sparring session for Canelo, man. I mean, he just teed off on dude early, took it to him. Yildrum or – I can't – however you say his name, man, he didn't really put much of a fight, man. That fight wasn't going to last long at all, man. Like, third, I'm really surprised he even went into the third round. Um, I mean, Yildrum, he, he got the nice Canelo stimulus package, and he'll get a nice payday for the fight. But, I mean, everybody knew Canelo was going to work, dude. Um, Canelo's fighting Billy Joe Saunders on May 8th for the unification bout at 168. I really think Canelo is going to make slight work of him, too. Yeah. Until somebody actually gives Canelo some run, I'm going to rock with Canelo against anybody. I don't care if it's Charlo, Billy Joe Saunders, Benavidez. I don't care who it is. Um plant like these dudes they talk a big game but really and truthfully man canelo is the biggest star in boxing and people can say he's ducking him but these fighters need canelo more than canelo needs these fighters now one fight that i wouldn't mind seeing just because their styles are so similar i wouldn't mind seeing triple g again the only problem is triple g is a little bit older now than when he fought canelo back in 2017 in 2018 in my opinion i thought triple g won the first fight and canelo won the second fight but the first fight was ruled a draw and then the second fight it was very very close the mm-hmm. second fight could have been a draw i mean i thought canelo won by a round just because he was more aggressive early in the fight and triple g came on late exactly but i mean triple g could probably give him a, a decent run but canelo is better now than he was and i'm not sure if triple g is at the same level that he was um since the canelo fight i mean charlo that could be an interesting fight, but like you said, I don't know if Charles on Canelo's level. Caleb Plant, I mean, Caleb Plant looked impressive as Truax a few weeks ago, but I think uh, that's don't see it, man. Like yeah. Canelo's just too good, man. Like he is. And I like, think people, trying to get Charlo in that ring with him, you know, it'd be a cross promotional fight, which is always kind of hectic with the um promo, you know, promoters and the TV networks and how you get the contract drawn out. Who's the A fighter? Who's the B fighter? Is it gonna be a 60-40 split? 50-50 split, you know how these fighters, man, they have these egos, which rightfully so they should have the right to have their egos. But when it comes to getting these fights done, it's hard to determine who's an A fighter and B fighter because that's the difference a lot of times between four to ten million dollars. Yeah, um, man. And that's being nice. Um, like they said, they it was talk about uh Bud Crawford versus Manny Pacquiao, and Pacquiao what <laughs> he you came want, out forty million dollars. <laughs> Pacquiao came out recently and said that he's the A fighter. Uh I'm not too sure about that. He may be the bigger name um, internationally known, but as far as him being the A fighter against, you know, ESPN, I think ESPN had Bud Crawford, number one pound pound fighter in, in the world. Um, that's uh, very uh, biased in my opinion. Yeah. Stereotypical. Um, that's, it's almost blasphemous almost to have him above Bud. Uh, Pacquiao is nice. Don't get me wrong. He has a few losses on the resume, but Bud arguably is number one pound for pound fighter in the country. Pound for pound fighter in the world, um, outside me and your Canelo, man. Um, yeah, man. And um, to our listeners, so if you don't really understand bo- how boxing works, I'm gonna break it down really quick. Teach all the difference between boxing and UFC. UFC is pretty much ran by Dana White. They have one guy calling the shots. Whereas boxing, you have all these different promotion groups. So you have Top Rank, which is with ESPN. You have PBC, which was Fox and uh, Showtime, and then. Um, you have Mayweather promotions. You have, um, like, it's so many different promotions. So this is why it's harder to get some of these fights in boxing than UFC because there's so many hands in the pot. 
when we got all these hands in the pot and all this money involved. And like you said, who's the A fighter, who's the B fighter and egos, man. Sometimes it takes too long to get the fights that we want to see. Um, one fight I think that could happen soon though, um, Oscar Valdez um, beat Miguel Burchell a week ago. Um, I posted the video on my IG when he knocked out dude with the left hook, vicious left hook, definitely a knockout of the year contender. Shakur Stevenson says that he wants to fight Valdez. What are your thoughts on that potential fight, Roy? Um, we know style make fights, man. And Shakur, I think that his name has not been mentioned and brought up enough like it should be, man. The boy is straight dangerous, like dangerous. And he's like, in my opinion, one of the most underrated fighters out there. You know, he got in a little bit of trouble, um, I think a couple years ago with that um, – domestic violence thing with the female that he got into. And then he also got in trouble with his brother for uh, them laying hands on two dudes outside night, two dudes outside night, <laughs> nightclub. Um, but other than that, man, he's really been out of trouble. He's had his head straight. Style makes fights. Um, he has a not nasty jab, which always controls the fight, man. People don't understand. If you're not into really boxing and you're looking to get into boxing, jabs can control the fights. You don't even really have to do much. That, if you got a nasty jab, that's the number one recipe for putting somebody on the ass in boxing, man. Mm -hmm. He has an assy jab. He has power. He has quickness. He has great foot speed. The boy is underrated. He's one of the most underrated fighters um, in any boxing class in the world, man. I think that Shakur, in my, and just my opinion, I think Shakur will make light, light work of him, man. I, I, re I really, really do. And people really don't see him much of Shakur. But Shakur, trust me, if you haven't seen Shakur or heard of him, YouTube, the boy, Shakur Stevenson. Yeah, the boy man, like, is a problem, like a problem. I remember when boxing first came back during the summer when they did the bubble, man, he made a dude fold on a body shot, a vicious hook to the body, man. And the dude just literally just dropped to the ground and was screaming, bro. Like, Shakur is nasty with it, man. Yeah. He, he's, so, he's underrated, and you really don't hear his name that much, man. If you're not into boxing, trust me on this, ladies and gentlemen. Go YouTube, Shakur Stevenson. Shakur, hey, he's a problem, I'm telling you. I'm telling yeah. you. He's Let's dangerous, man. He was, you know, his first name after Tupac, man. He definitely dangerous, bro. Absolutely. Let's definitely dangerous. Focus, man. Let's, let's switch focus on the Charlotte Hornets, bro. You know, we mentioned this on almost every podcast, even before um, the benching of LaMelo Ball, where now he's been implemented to the starting lineup. The Hornets sit at 15-7. Um, just recently, they were as high as fifth in the East. But, you know, it's like a half-game game difference between seventh and fourth, I believe, in the – in the East right now. Um, LaMelo Ball has completely changed the landscape for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, me and you both have said on many occasions that there's no way in the world that um, James Borrego can put him back on the bench, which he shouldn't. Um, he's arguably rookie of the year. You know what? There's no argument. LaMelo Ball is the <laughs> MVP of the year. Give me your thoughts on LaMelo Ball and the Charlotte Hornets as of right now. They're making a push for um, a playoff run. Um, we're almost halfway into the season. We have NBA All-Star Week coming up soon. Uh, give me your thoughts on the Charlotte Hornets right now. What do they need to do to make a serious run for contending within the Eastern Conference? All right. So right now we've completed three games of a six-game West Coast road trip. We're one and two. We played Utah very tough for three quarters, and then Utah just absolutely blitzed us. I mean, they absolutely killed us from three. And part of the problem is um, James Borrego's defensive schemes – He'd rather protect the paint than protect the three-point line. And against a team like Utah, that is not a good recipe because Utah, they live on the three-point line. I mean, even with the Lakers the other night, I mean, I know the Lakers don't have AD. They didn't have Schroeder, but still Utah hit like 20 
four, 26 threes against the Lakers. They hit 28 against yeah. the Hornets, man. They made like over 50 threes in two games. I think it was an NBA record. Yeah. Those threes in, in two games. I mean, Utah was a bad matchup, but we did play them very, very tough. And actually, we had a lead in the third quarter of that game. We just got absolutely got blitzed. It was like an avalanche, man. Utah just got things rolling, we, and we just couldn't stop the bleeding. But we did compete hard that game against the best team in the NBA record-wise as of right now. In my opinion, I still don't think Utah is better than the Lakers or the Clippers in the West, but we'll talk about that another day. Um, Let me get then, your thought on this, man. You know, sticking to the NBA. You know, recently there was a firing of the Minnesota Timberwolves um, in which Saunders, Coach Saunders, ended up getting fired. I think I believe it's the son of the late uh, Flip Saunders yep. who got fired. And within literally, I think, 30 minutes of the hiring, firing, there was a hiring within the NBA. It rubbed a lot of players the wrong way. Um, you had tons and tons of players saying that, hey, this is a bad look on the NBA. Like, how can this happen? Um, you fire somebody, then you – signed a multi-year contract with another coach within a 30-minute time span. It might not even 30 minutes. I'm being nice. It might not have been 30 minutes, but they did a long-time hire, multi-year hire of another coach within the NBA. Like I said, players rubbed the wrong way. What kind of look does this bring for the NBA that you fired a guy and you hire another one within a time span to a multi-year deal? It almost gives you the thought that, hey, this is going on behind the scenes. Yes, the Timberwolves are 727. Um, they have been a complete abysmal this year. Um, but what kind of looking your opinion does this bring on the NBA, even having the NBA Players Association release a statement um, supporting, you know, the players and their thoughts about the NBA? What's your thoughts on the whole ordeal, T? I mean, the optics are terrible. And, and what made it even worse is um, David Vanderpool, an assistant coach for the Timberwolves, who's also black, a lot of guys not only on the Timberwolves but throughout the NBA – we're vouching for this guy just mm -hmm. to even get an interim job. You exactly. have to give him the head coaching job, but at least an interim job through the rest of the season, see what he can do with the team, and then you can make a decision. The optics are terrible, but I'm going to say this. It's a reason why the Minnesota Timberwolves are the worst team in the NBA. Um, it was a video on SB Nation about Kevin Garnett and his beef with the owner of the Timberwolves. I think it was Glenn Taylor at the time. Minnesota has been abysmal since um, KG left there. Even before KG left there, they were terrible. They had that one year where they made the Western Conference Finals where they had uh, KG, Sprewell, Sam Cassell, I think, and Wally Zerbiak. And after that, they've been abysmal. Then you had Jimmy Butler there for a year. And then he was getting into it not only with the management, but other guys on the team. Andrew Wiggins called him soft, taking janitors and guys off the street and beating guys in practice. I mean, Minnesota Timberwolves have been absolutely a joke. And quite honestly, send them to Seattle, man, because let's just be real, man. That franchise is terrible. Send them to Seattle. Maybe some guys would want to play there, but I don't know, man. That ownership is terrible, man. Like everything in life and in sport, it stops from the top down with ownership, GM, scouting department, coach. Minnesota has been terrible in all aspects of their franchise. Um, the optics of it are terrible. I don't know who – I'm not really sure about the guy that they hired. I mean, I know he was with Toronto. Um, Nick Nurse is a good coach. I'm pretty sure he has a good staff. I'm pretty sure this guy's deserving to be a head coach. I'm not trying to question this guy's credibility, but to fire somebody and then hire somebody from another organization just like that is terrible when also you have a minority assistant coach that Damian Lillard and other guys across the NBA, I think some guys in the Warriors are vouching for this guy, uh, Vanderpool as well, to at least just get an interim job. The optics of it are terrible. 
And for a league that's been as socially aware as the NBA um, has been or perceives themselves to be the Perceive. last few years, this is terrible, man. Yep. This is terrible. And Minnesota, I mean, you have Carly Towns, and he just literally is out there pretty much on his own. I mean, I know they got D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, but, I mean, this team, I mean, where, what direction is this team going in, man? Because ever since they had that one year with Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler, and I think they won 50 games that year made the playoffs um, as an eight seed. It's been it's downhill been, since, man. It's visible, really man. Like, that is a horrible franchise. As much as people talk about Charlotte as a franchise, they're nowhere near as bad as Minnesota's been lately. And things are actually looking up for Charlotte, man. Um, I know we have this uh, – we play Sacramento tonight. We're banged up. I think that's a game that we can win. And then we play Portland. That's going to be tough. Um, and then we play Minnesota right for the All-Star break. Um, Charlotte should be – I think they will make the playoffs – but the question with Charlotte is, are they going to make a move to get a big man or are they going to stay the course and play the long game? Um, you, are you going to trade away some young assets to get a big man? Um, I know um, our boss, Vasta, on her uh, radio show yesterday, um, she mentioned that John Collins is a name that's been thrown out there for trade, but you would have to give up some assets to get a John Collins. You probably have to give up uh, P.J. Washington, who has been struggling lately. Don't get me started on P.J., man. Like PJ, PJ was on Twitter talking about his his girlfriend Brittany Renner, man. Like you know, like don't get me started. You know who Brittany Renner is. Don't get me started, man. He got that girl pregnant, man. That boy PJ stressed, man. Like PJ is stressed, man. He got Brittany Renner pregnant, man. He better step it up, man. Or PJ will be in some trade talks if he doesn't step it up, man. For real, like I think for the Hornets to actually get Collins and Charlotte, like you said before, they're going to give up a lot. Um, a name that has also been thrown out is Terry Rozier, who, you know, is, I think below Gordon Hayward is, what, the second on the payroll yeah, for the Hornets? I think that on the he, payroll is second leading score, yeah. The second leading score. He's the most probably sought out uh, from the Hornets as far as involved in trade talks. I think to actually get a big man in, which I believe you said Collins, um, a name also was Marvin Bagley, um, yeah. who I think will be a great addition for the Hornets. Yeah. Um, and also uh, a name that – been brought up recently was DeMarcus Cousins um, with the ability to shoot from outside, um, veteran leadership, a big body in the paint. Uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see how he would fit with the Hornets. Um, but, you know, in a high up-tempo style offense as the Hornets, um, his ability to run the floor, I mean, yeah, he's still in shape. I think the most important thing with DeMarcus Cousins that was, um, you know, from Houston that you heard from a lot of representatives and management was that his whole attitude and just the way that he held himself and his veteran leadership towards the young players um, has improved tremendously um, throughout his playing career. And they gave great and high praises for DeMarcus Cousins to vouch for his next team, which I think uh, the Hornets should definitely consider. I think that he will be a good fit with the Lakers. Um, it all match, it's, it's all about matchups, though, and it's all about the yeah. scheme. Um, putting yeah. him in a pick and roll is his flaw. Um, and, you know, in the NBA, the stretch four, stretch five position, um, which is arguably the hardest position to guard right now in basketball. Um, if you don't have the ability to defend the pick and roll in the NBA, you're done. Um, you're going to be sitting in the pond. And yeah. And, and speaking of Terry Rozier, um, just talking about the horns and possibly like trade chips. Another name that I've seen possibly linked to some trades, Malik Monk, um, his last 15 games, you know, we called for it a few weeks ago to get him more minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ever since he's been back in the rotation, 15 games, he's averaging 15 points a game. 
47% from the field, 47% from three in 25 minutes. He's a free agent at the end of this year. Um, he could possibly be a trading ship. A hot take in the Hornets Facebook groups and Twitter, whatever, what to do with Malik Monk. Do we keep him? Do we sign him to a contract? Do we use him as trade as a trade ship? I am a believer in his talent. I know that he hasn't been consistent in his time. He's shown flashes his rookie year, his second year, even his third year where he had a nice stretch before he got suspended. But um, I think that his talent is definitely worth keeping. It's With him, it's about his maturity. And he's shown signs of maturity this year. He didn't pout and complain one time when he was benched. Um, he stayed ready. Um, he's been playing very well. Um, I don't know, man, because, like, Terry's going to be on the last year of his deal next year. That's, you know, when you're on the last year of your contract in the NBA and you're trying to make a trade, those are the contracts that teams like contenders want. Um, mm -hmm. If Terry was on the last year of his deal this year, I could definitely see him being a hot trade chip um, for a team that needs, like, a backup point guard like the Clippers or possibly even, like, a Philadelphia mm -hmm. or – a team that just needs a backup point guard. The problem with Terry is, is that he still has another year on his deal. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of hard to move that contract unless a team is going to commit to him through next year and beyond. Um, yeah, I mean, I would like to see us get a big man, but I also don't want to give up a lot of assets um, as well. I want to play the long game. You know, we have cap space. Um, if we can make a move smartly without having to give up too much, and I say go for it, but if not, I would stay the course. I still think we can make the playoffs this year, even with the team that we have right now, because Devontae Graham has been out for a while. Um, hopefully after All-Star break, he can come back and get back in the rotation. Um, Cody Zell is banged NBA up right now. A, isn't the NBA doing a play-in game where I think was it is it 10, 10 yeah. through 12, I think, or 8 through 12? So the 10 seed plays the 7 seed and the 8 and the 9 play – and then the winner of those games will play each other in the play-in scenario to make the playoffs. I actually think that this is a fascinating idea the NBA has done. They did in the bubble, and that game between Portland and Memphis in the bubble was one of the better bubble games of the whole bubble. Um, so really, you just have to be, I think, within a certain amount of games, which the East right now is a log jam. So if you're at 10, you're going to be playing the seven seed in the play-in game. So we just tread water survive this West Coast road trip, come back all-star healthy, and just hang around somewhere between 7 and 10, I think we could beat any of those teams. Actually, I think we could beat pretty much any team in the East except for Philadelphia just because Joel Embiid's a bad matchup. Absolutely. Um, Brooklyn. We, Brooklyn's been playing great lately, even without KD. They've been playing great. I know they didn't have Kyrie last night, but I'm not looking too much in that game. Mm -hmm. um, besides those two teams, I mean, even – I think we could give Milwaukee a run for their money. The Bucks haven't been playing the same this year. I know Drew Holiday's been out, but I think we could give the Milwaukee some run. I mean, they the Bucks probably win, beat us in five or six games, but those games will be competitive. And then everybody else in the East, I mean, we can beat them team. You know, we have – the Hornets are an interesting team. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll say this. We have legit four or five guys that can get you 20 points on any given night. Terry, Devontae, Gordon – Malik Monk and Miles every now and then he can go off for about 22 
And um, PJ, if PJ's right, because PJ did play better against Golden State. I know we were joking on him earlier about his girlfriend and all the other stuff, but he did play better um, against Golden State. And if he's locked in and focused and on his game, PJ's another guy that can get you about 18, 20 points. So we have a lot of guys that can score the problem. Our problem is defense. We're definitely going to have to solidify our defense somehow. We have smaller guards, um, and we don't have a lot of rim protection. But if we can somehow defend and rebound better the second half of the season, we will be a playoff team. And depending on the matchup, I mean, if we sneak into the five seed, I mean, we could possibly win a series. I'm not even like – no BS, man. I really think depending on who you match up with in that four or five, because the East is so logged up right now. It's a log jam. It's like a half game between what was it fifth and ninth or something crazy? It's like what yeah. five game, five point five, six and a half games. I mean, it's everything's logged up in that middle right now. Like you said, just yeah, so. a week ago they were in the fifth spot in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Um, one of the hottest stretches in NBA through the Hornets. One of the most dynamic basketball teams to watch this season. In my opinion, the funnest team to watch it. Yeah. In all of I mean, NBA this season, man, led by rookie um, NBA Rookie of the Year Lamelo Ball. Man, let's talk. Yeah. Let's close out on this right here, T. Um, the NBA All-Star game is going to be held very, very soon. And recently you had Adam Silver saying that um, basically the NBA All-Star game is a global community. But then he go, goes on in the next sentiment and mentions how important um, the economy is and how it's, it is about money, which we know the reason why the NBA All-Star game is being held, the reason why the NBA season has been held is because of money. Um, do you think the NBA is making the best decision by holding the NBA All-Star game we know Silver mentions, um, you know, the economic and global community on social media. Um, of course, there was economic factors, um, you know, due to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, millions of Americans losing their job. Um, you know, it's important to have the All-Star Weekend. Um, you know, he's even thrown out um, and, you know, had leagues send out notices to um, different club promoters within Atlanta saying, hey, there will not be any type of uh, fan engagement as far as like the players going to clubs, um, you know, doing this night, whatever, without the community. I think they're also making that the players and families that are coming um, to the All-Star game, the families of the players have to stay in their hotel room until the events, which is the dunk contest. And I think the three-point shootout, which will be held during halftime of the All-Star game. Is the NBA ultimately making a great decision or the best decision in his own interest to hold the All-Star game, um, which is about the dollar bill at the end of the day? Is the NBA making the best decision to hold the All-Star game in your opinion? I don't have a problem with the NBA having the All-Star game. I have a problem with the NBA having an All-Star game in Atlanta, which has been wide open. For a while. For pretty much the whole pandemic. Atlanta's been wide open. And Adam Silver, if he's delusional enough to think that people aren't going to be partying in Atlanta, I follow a lot of club promoters here in Charlotte. Let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. Half of Charlotte's going to be in Atlanta next week. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Half of Charlotte is going down to Atlanta next week. They are they're advertising all these parties. They got uh Pooh Shiesty, Gucci mm -hmm. Man. I mean, everybody and their mama's gonna be down there. Like, yeah, Bobby Smurda. I saw yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, let's be real, man. Like, I have no problem with the NBA having an all-star game. They're doing a lot of good things. They're giving money to HBCUs, they're having HBCUs perform like step um step shows and bands and things perform. It's gonna be a great showcase for these HBCUs. And they're giving like about $3 million to some HBCUs. I have no problem with that. My issue is it's in Atlanta. You could have had it in any other city with more restrictions. The NBA know like they were they talk to these governors in these states all the time about health restrictions when it comes to letting fans in and all types of stuff. They know where the restrictions are kind of tight and where they're lax. Atlanta's been lax from the beginning. Atlanta, Houston, Florida have been lax this whole pandemic from the beginning. 
the NBA could have had the All-Star anywhere else but Houston, but Atlanta or Florida. And I've been fine with it. At the end of the day, though, it is about money. Um, you know, not having fans in stands is costing the NBA money. So that's why they're having this all-star game. It's another, you know, TV ads, promotion, you know. It's a revenue booster. Revenue, man. Like, it's really all about the revenue. Like I said, I don't have a problem with um, them having it. I just have a problem with it being in Atlanta and then the NBA being, I don't know if it's delusion or they're just really not paying attention to what's been going on down there. But Atlanta's been wide open and um, – if they think that, you know, they sent cease and desist orders to these clubs, they think these clubs are going to stop. They're, they're absolutely insane. Let me tell you one thing. I used to promote for clubs back in Greensboro, back during our party in college, you know, our partying days, uh, right out of uh, college and everything. Let me tell you this. If Adam Silver thinks, and like you just mentioned, if Adam Silver thinks for one minute that that's going to stop a cease and desist letter, a cease and desist letter is going to stop any of these club promoters from actually having these parties during the pandemic in Hotlanta, during NBA All-Star Weekend, if you think that a letter is going to stop you from from having these parties, let me tell you one thing, Adam Silver. You got another thing coming, brother. There is yeah, no man. way in the world, trust me. And you want to know something even crazier? If you think some of your players are not going to be at these parties? Exactly. James Hart going to be oh, at trust me. club. Trust and believe. 4PF Hart going to be a little baby and the yes. whole 4PF crew at some strip club. Like, trust me. Now, like, you heard it here first. You're going to hear some type of anonymous reporting from people and players saying, hey, this player was here and there. Trust me, a letter is not going to stop these players from being in these strip clubs, man, with these wings, these parties, man, these strippers. Like, it's not going to stop them, Living man. You in hot Atlanta. Lemon Pepper Lou Williams, bro. <laughs> it's not going to stop them one bit, man. Trust me on this, Adam Silver. If you think it's going to stop them from doing it, you might want to personally monitor players yourself because it's not going to stop them. Hey, no Trust way in hell. These are NBA players at the end of the day. They grown, man. They, they grown men. They used to doing what they want to do when they want to do, do it. They have egos, and somebody's going to be at some strip club. Trust and believe that. I don't know who it is. I have my suspicions of who. Oh, we know who it is. <laughs> we know I have my suspicions, is, right? man. But somebody going to be in Magic City. Somebody exactly. going to be in Blue Flame getting Kel's Kitchen, getting that salmon plate from Kel's Kitchen in the blue. Yeah, trust me. They gonna be in the club, but they gonna be for no wings either. <laughs> Hell yeah, because I'm not gonna lie. I just open Tuesday. I might grab some wings myself Tuesday for my next. Hey y'all, man! Thank you for tuning in for the Two Shades of Blue, man. This is my my co-host Terrence Hatchet, myself Royal Howell, man. You can catch us on Mondays. Um, the I'm sorry, man. Just threw me off. <laughs> Hey man, I'm sorry, bro. I, I I haven't had wings from Onyx in a long time, bro. I'm gonna go in there, of course, with my mask on, order my wings. And I'm gonna maybe throw a couple of ones here and there, and then I'm out. <laughs> Y'all, thank you for catching Two Shades of Blue podcast, man. My name's Royal Howe. My co-host Terrence Hatchet. Um, this shit be up on Mondays as usual, man. You all stay safe out there. Keep your mask on. Get your shot if you can. If you feel comfortable about it, get your shots, please. Like I said, keep your mask on. Keep your gloves on and stay safe out there, man. We love y'all, man. And stay safe. Thank you. Enjoy this Sunday. Like he said, stay safe. And, um, you know, all joking aside, if you do go out or if you are in Atlanta, just please wear your mask. Take all safety precautions if possible anywhere you are. Um, you know, hopefully this pandemic can end soon so we can start attending these games and doing things that, um, you know, we've been accustomed to doing. Um, I know the cases are going down, but 
we can't let our foot off the gas yet. Um, like all joking aside, just please be safe and enjoy the rest of your weekend. And we'll see y'all next week. Absolutely.